Hello everyone and welcome to the Desert Tiger Podcast. Today on this edition of the show, the 71st episode of the DTP, Marlene Hibbs fights like a honey badger for Canadian mental health education. Of course, I'm going to tell you exactly what that means right away, but there's a few things I want to do before we get there. First off, I want to go ahead and thank those of you who checked out last week's episode, which featured singer-songwriter Daniel Wesley as we spoke about his latest EP, Beach Music, which released last Friday, of course. A lot of you were enjoying the more acoustic, the more island sound that Daniel was bringing with his latest release, and I was very excited to hear that feedback from you all. Of course, normally at about this time, I would mention ilovedtp.com because that is the best place where you can support the show, but instead of shilling myself out this episode, I figured I would rather instead encourage you to go and join Marlene Hibbs' Facebook group, Days of Action, and if you are comfortable with sharing your own story, I encourage you to join her Days of Action Trauma Collective group, which we will be speaking about here on today's episode. And as you can tell, this is one of those episodes of the DTP where we are going to be getting a little bit serious, and with good reason, because it is something that I feel deserves it. I am your host here on the DTP, here on the Desert Tiger Podcast. My name is Colton G, Colton Geschwanner, and here on today's episode of the show, like I said earlier, Marlene Hibbs fights like a honey badger for mental health education. Marlene Hibbs has been nicknamed Honey Badger for various reasons by various people. Her drive and passion to complete a goal when she sets it is incredible. Among many things, she is a personal trainer, a positive member of her community, and a mental health education advocate. Marlene's personal battles with eating disorders, ADHD, and trauma gave her a first-hand look at the Canadian mental health system and how it treats patients. She found out quickly that even though those working inside of the system wanted to help, they were limited due to policies and bureaucracy, leaving many patients to fall through the cracks. This inspired her to be the change she wanted to see, taking action to the road, Days of Action, that is. Days of Action is a campaign that sees the Honey Badger biking from her home in Kamloops, British Columbia, to Ottawa, Ontario, and yes, you heard me right, pedal biking, bringing with her a growing collection of stories, shared with her from several citizens with similar experiences with the Canadian mental health system. Today, I am... Not only pleased, but blessed that I am able to give someone who is so passionate about changing the conversation that I was able to give her a platform because this is a powerful 
episode, you guys, and I'm gonna be honest with you, I kind of maybe teared up a bit while doing uh, my editing last night. We get deep on this one. Marlene dives into a lot of her own experiences, and I am extremely thankful that she was willing to do that. Normally, we play a song before we dive into our interviews here on the show, but today I don't want to dilute the message. I know that songs can be a powerful pickup for a lot of people, and I'm actually going to go through some song suggestions that listeners of the show and some friends of mine actually gave me, but that's going to come on the mid-roll. Right now, we're just going to dive right into this. So, like I said, Marlene Hibbs is fighting like a honey badger for mental health education. The Desert Tiger Podcast. Alright, we are here with Marlene Hibbs, otherwise known as the Honey Badger. Marlene is currently championing a campaign across Canada. She is biking on her way to Parliament to take her message of how services of mental health and the health system in Canada can be improved altogether. Thank you for joining me today, Marlene, to share your journey and your vision. Thank you for having me. What a beautiful introduction. I'm so honored and grateful to be here with you and everyone listening. Yes, I I hope that they are just as excited to have you here on the (laughs) DTP as I am today. Of course, we're going to be getting pretty pretty into things, I feel. You are currently on a Days of Action campaign right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before we dive into the Days of Action, I actually want to dive into what led up to you making this valiant decision to take on this cause. <laughs> that's, a, that's a beautiful word, a valiant. Well, my summary that I share with people is I felt I had been as accountable as I could to myself and the current systems in place. And when I had done that, and I felt like that hadn't changed in my community of Kamloops. And that was a six-year period of conscious self-advocating, getting to know the system, how it works. And therein lies the problem is there's a specific special language that you need to learn as a patient to get through the system. huge problem but even then once I had adapted to what they felt was reflective of worthy communicating with and pushing my way through and I still knew like there was something not right in my personal like in my internal experience and I learned over the time that was trauma and it's a trauma is a whole my trauma and I feel for most collective of mental health like anxiety, depression, the PTSD, all those things, eating disorder, it's all interrelated. If a body isn't in a homospecious space, it will, it, and if we can't communicate it verbally, then it will communicate it for us. So after, I did a scale smash campaign before I did this for eating disorder awareness. And that is a whole rabbit hole that will break your heart. But once I felt, again, I was accountable as I could be, and I tried everything in the community to get funding, to get support where I needed it in terms of interior health, for example. There's some amazing people there, but 
the policy really trickled up to federal government and their perception and how they view mental health and services nationwide. And that's why I've taken it to the road because I could bang my head against a wall and not get help. <laughs> so that's why I'm on the road. So you're actually hmm. taking, as you say, action, days of action as each yeah, day you're yeah. riding across Canada to try and take this message higher up because it's not maybe not necessarily the people inside the clinics mm-hmm. themselves who mm-hmm. are failing because they would mm-hmm. love to help everybody that they can, but sometimes there's only so much staff available. That's a really great point, Colton. The staff are often limited due to bureaucracy, and the bureaucracy, when I say that word, is usually boils down to paperwork and policy and insurance and protecting the image of government and making sure that everything's recorded because if anything happens, well, it's curious, why why is it so documented? I'm just going to throw that out there to people. When When you go to a doctor or you go to your emergency, I really want to encourage you to Take a copy of the of what you're seeing and even write down what is happening because the story and what they're recording may not be indicative of what you're experiencing. You could be telling them one thing and they're interpreting it another way. So your your voice and what you're experiencing may not be being actually heard. It's being translated into something that fits the current policy. I got a little off track there because you made such a really great point. So yes, when I say action days of action. What I've seen are a lot of awareness campaigns. We're fully aware of what's happening. Everyone looks like you can't turn your head like two inches without having a discussion about mental health. And this is good. So it's about shifting, integrating nationally to move towards a concentrated, uh, focused action on rewriting the mental health narrative. So the language I use is very careful. And I've boiled it down to be very concise and targeted because the language around the campaign is important. And I think, and I feel, and I sense it's, it's why it's been so effective. I've taken the time to create language that resonates with what people are feeling because there isn't language for it. And that language creates a silence and it, that silence is really violent to the person, their body and our social and systemic bodies. And that's why I made it really simple with my Days of Action Trauma um, Story Collective is people can go there and it's growing really rapidly. People can go there and they can share their story and they can write down in their words what they're experiencing. And I want people to just practice saying what they're feeling because when you start practicing what you're feeling and your body is expressing through words and action, then that's when you come back into your power. And that's when you, how you become liberated because once you start getting your power back, you're not going to let that go. So mm-hmm. everyone practicing, right? So with, but within that, the story, you, the first person perspective is being honored. And I want to take the first person perspective back to Ottawa because it's not, it's not there. I hear parties talking about the patient voice and they hear the patient voice. And I will say, oh, no, you were, you've not heard the patient voice. Because why are so many bodies in revolt? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 
No, and that's one thing that you say is language is incredibly important, especially when you're dealing with different levels, when you're dealing with Mm -hmm. the people who feel like they're not being heard, and especially when you're dealing with bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. Those are two very different levels of individuals, and the way that they receive and perceive information is incredibly different. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And it separates them. It, it separates the humanity. When you find, like for me, I spent six years finding somebody. And when I found my doctor, I've been with her for four years already. And we started doing CBT. So she helped me start sorting out what I was experiencing and removing, separating myself from the trauma that happened to me as being an, as an experience and something that happened, but not who I was. Mm-hmm. And when you're, a lot of trauma happens when you're so young, so you embody it and you embrace it with, it, it downloads into your core, your core systems and your core values and you enact that because that's how you were taught to survive. It's a, a trauma is a separation, a disassociation from the self. And being disassociated from yourself is, well, look, it creates the, the mental the disparity. So, yeah, the language. <laughs> Most definitely. And it's difficult at those points in times to understand that you're actually learning survival techniques as a young Uh being because that's exactly what it is, is you're taking in this information and you're learning from it. And it is forming who you are as an individual. It might make you a shyer individual. It might make you an angrier Uh individual. And Uh you don't understand that. And if that doesn't get dealt with at a younger time, that can build up over Uh 20 years. Maybe you don't even realize it for 50 or 60 Uh years that this has been going on. Exactly. Exactly. And Colton, you shared that in your story um, where you became aware of who you were being with who you learned to be through your family unit you were taught how to be that way because animals, for instance, do that in the wild. They adapt by, they sense, and then they integrate and they download the experience. This is really great that we're jumping into this already. So what I do is I'm a somatic educator. So I work with the stress reflexes in people's bodies, and I help them to release stored trauma that's in the body. So I work with what's called sensory motor amnesia wherein the central nervous system becomes so tense that the body will perceive things based on that tension. So it's like uh, you're calibrated to search out for things, and it's that terminology, um, self-fulfilling prophecy. Very true, but there's so much shame associated with that because it's like you can be aware of what's happening, but then we get into what's called the schema. So what the schema is, and it's a term that was developed from cognitive behavioral therapy, is when you sit down with someone and they help you, it has to be the right person because you need to feel safe with this person. And I really want to people to understand that if your body is saying something isn't safe, start trusting that. Start trusting that. If just Even if it's, um, and this is where PTSD can get hard, just trust that, separate yourself from it and spend time um, with emotion, but what CBT does is it helps you to do that. With a schema, you write down what happened, and then what you can start doing is removing the shame that you're carrying or the anxiety or the guilt. That is often the root a lot of a lot of mental health. It's chronic guilt, <laughs> chronic shame, chronic mm-hmm. pain. 
right? But okay, so work, follow me here. Once you have the schema, you can start looking at it and say, well, of course I am this way because look what happened to me. Of course it's this way. And then you separate yourself from that um, individual from who did the thing to you or the thing that happened to you. And when that happens, then you can start coming back into your body mm-hmm. and, and then challenging the, the world and yourself. And instead of being shamed and feeling crushed by it, you can be strengthened by that. That's one way to go about it. I can't even remember what we started with, Colton. <laughs> just so you know, I'm like the tangent queen. I'm All like... <laughs> right. We'll just flow through this. Sometimes <laughs> I like to take answers from what you give me. So if we just end up on a full tangent, it, we'll take it. We'll take it okay, where cool. it goes, Thank right? You. We'll run the rabbit hole. Thank you. No worries at all. So one thing that you mentioned was writing things down. And that was something Mm -hmm. that once I finally found a doctor that was receptive and helpful to my situation was something that they had me do also was write things down. And it allowed me to look at those situations that I felt guilty for or powerless in and allowed Mm -hmm. me to see exactly what I had control of in those moments. And one of those things mm-hmm. as a youth is you don't have a lot of control in those moments. Brilliant. You're absolutely right. Your powerlessness and your submission is often what's required for survival. And that's called the submission reflex. It's the freeze reflex. And you see it in the wild with animals. And that's so important that you stated that Colton is that like what until you're like 16 or 17 or for some people older until they are allowed to they're allowed to exercise their power and in the wild if an animal it's, there's a really good video i'll link you link you to um it's a somatic education there's a cheetah um, that's chasing a gazelle and the cheetah pins the gazelle down and the gazelle had already done the fight or flight it's running for its life it's pinned and the last thing it can do is freeze so what it does is it, its body involuntarily shuts down. It just knows to do that because sometimes the cheetah may not be hungry, but it may just be playful, right? So if it loses that desire to kill and pursue, it might it might by chance not eat the gazelle. Mm-hmm. But in the video, something really important happens. What happens is this group of, what do you call them, hyenas come and they chase off the cheetah. And the gazelle is still lying there in the freeze reflex. But what is happening is the, the gazelle's body is processing what happened. And it lies there for a little longer, and then it starts shaking. It starts shaking and sweating and shaking like really. It's, it's shedding its trauma. It's downloading and integrating the experience. And then it kind of like, you know, like wakes up. And what happens is that gazelle is smarter. It will instinctively sense and know that what happened, and it will go on to breed smarter babies. But what people do is we have a prefrontal cortex, so we have morality and we have can perceive. And that is our free will. That is essentially the free will. The prefrontal cortex is we're only responsible for 8% of our brain, maybe. But it's our free will. So when you start getting your free will back, that happens through therapy. That happens through healing. So when you have, when you're healed, you get your mobility back to think. Just like if you have a broken leg, you have limited um, physicality in your physical world, that if you're broken in your mental world, it affects your, your prefrontal cortex and you can't make as many free choices because you're stuck in the program that hasn't done downloading, you haven't healed from it. 
So that's another thing I'm very passionate about with this awareness campaign is explaining why healing emotionally is so important. If we break our freaking legs, we get crutches. If you break someone's soul or their spirit, why aren't they getting help? No, yeah. you go through a rehab process of making sure that the muscles are repaired and that you don't put too much stress on them right away. You're stretching them mm-hmm. out. You're making mm-hmm. sure that they are receptive and ready for you to put that pressure on them. Whereas right away, some people are expected to just go right back into the gambit once again of what their life mm-hmm. was. And that's something that I had to experience with yeah. myself and that freeze moment is that something where if you're driving a car and you see an animal on the road and you're sitting there wondering why did it stop well it's suddenly in shock because it doesn't know what to do and that's something that mm-hmm. happened with me is I had a crane fail and I had an object fall on me and everyone asked me why didn't you move I mm-hmm. what, what, what was I going to do what was exactly. I going to do and your body knew what to do. Mm-hmm. And the company that I worked for at the time expected me to come back to work the next day to the exact same jo- same job site and expected <laughs> me to be able to handle that because physically, yes, I did get hit by a 10,000 pound object that was falling, but it didn't break my bones. I got hit like in the right spot where it didn't affect me physically. So they thought, oh, you should be perfectly fine to handle this. Right? It's like, well, it's like, well, that's not how things work. <laughs> and why, I wonder, so how did that turn out for you, Colton? <laughs> that turned into a, a long process of depression and fighting relapse and mm. it was very difficult and I wasn't very trusting of some <laughs> medical regions for a little while and uh, it took some time to build my trust back up in some things i ended up leaving that company after a similar situation occurred good for you mm-hmm. you touch on something that's really important too and that's invalidation people being invalidated they will often they'll feel like this you know that feeling it's like that no like that's not that's not what i feel it can be like a surge of anger or pain and so often when we're validated as children, like our parents will get angry at us mm-hmm. and the, for something, right? We're just being kids and that invalidates our truth and our experience instead of being curious and being like, what's going on here? And we hold on to that anger. Um, depression is actually anger turned inward. And I'll say that again. Depression is anger turned inward. So when people feel anger, they're shamed for feeling it because it keeps the structure. It keeps the social structure. People got angry and used to their anger properly because it's needed for survival. Things would be very different, but we've been taught to turn it in on ourselves. And that's why in the Canadian Mental Health Commissioner's Report, Risk Analysis Report from 2011, outlines that at least at least 9 million Canadians, 60% of them being women, will be diagnosed with um, depression or anxiety by 2030. And they say that, so that is a very conservative, really safe, estimation yeah <laughs> the and they admit in their report that their stats are incomplete due to their various mental health conditions not having complete stats and reports in the problem in all provinces so that's just from 2011 yeah <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to touch on that a little bit a little bit more so the invalidation when we learn 
language to express our emotions. You don't, you know, people often lash out in anger, and rightfully so, someone's going to lash out in anger. And then we start it's you learning how to use it. So that's one another reason why I started this campaign is because I know I was angry. I was so depressed. I couldn't get out of bed some days. And my housing, like there's so much more to my story than uh, I've touched on so far, but my housing situation dwindled down. And it, even against everything I had, I could do or had done, it had dwindled down. My kids aren't living with me. I have two children. Mm-hmm. And then I call this systemic violence. Um, I went through very hard. I built a business in my 20s with my ex-husband. And just to say, I don't blame him. And I'm not angry at him anymore. Granted, I really was. Of course I was when everything happened. But in my own healing and being able to let go of so much for myself and like not like not let go but heal heal it and integrate it and learn interpret what it meant for my life then I was able to look at him as a human being having a human experience so when some horrible things happened and I was it wasn't even about forgiving it's more about compassion that there's no need to forgive we're just humans um but what that led to was a, was a very very first person reality experience of a what our court systems, I don't like using the word patriarchy because I think that that word right now is associated with it's villainizing men. And I don't think it's so, things are so simple. But the way our systems are structured is they don't protect women very well. We'll just say that. So when I got on the road, I, I definitely was at the point where that anger was going to stay in my body or I'm going to ride my bike and across Canada talking to every person I can. You can either choose to carry that experience with you across Canada or be open to the people that you find and continue to build the network of stories that you are collecting. Yes, exactly. Um, actually, today I met with, what's his name? I forget. My, I talked to so many people. Um, um, MLA. David Shepard? Yeah, David Shepard, thank you. No thank worries. you. Um, I met with him at 10.15 this morning in Alberta, and I got to spend a half an hour with him, which is really generous in MLA time. Like, I've met with quite a few, and sometimes they'll give you, like, only a 10-minute slot or a 15-minute slot. So 30 minutes is very generous. And I got to hear... So when you're... It's, you know, initially when you step into these spaces as these elected leaders, and you can feel them, that you can feel their presence, and you're kind of awestruck but um sometimes because and he was definitely a prime example of that and then being in his office and seeing the street work the street art on his wall of the history of alberta on his wall and then letting him bring my bike into the office and really sitting with me and hearing his story about um his mental health um crisis he got into politics because of mental health and our, our stories are very similar I'll, I'll encourage people to go hear his story the part of my campaign is to meet with MLAs as many as I can. And if I can meet with them, that's great. But I'm sending letters to every single elected leader, MP, MLA in our country, first duels groups because they're representative of the larger whole. And then I'm trickling it down, the letter down into mayor and council because they're elected too. So it's this macro to micro, right? Mm-hmm. And I want every single one of them to sign my letter about mental health renovation. I'm I'm still dialing in the language. I want it to be very 
very clear and concise because as we stated earlier, language is so important because as more people sign in this letter and they put their faith in it, and the people I've met with have also, they'll sign the letter, by the way, and they said others in their group will sign the letters too, right? It's fantastic. So I said, I really want to make sure I get the letter right because as it gets more energy into it, it's going to have a lot of power. And I want to make sure that I've thought about what that power means very fully, thoroughly. And I can feel it. And I've practiced writing this letter for months and I'm very close. And this weekend I'm feeling and sensing it will be ready to officially send out. And this weekend also I'll have my laptop with me so I can get my website upgraded. And right now I'm doing everything on my phone. Oh my God. No, Colton, wow. doing everything, doing running a campaign from your phone. Like I don't think people really know. It, like everyone's like, yeah, back on the road. I'm like, no, mm-hmm. I gotta have this laptop. <laughs> and then within that, so within all those pieces, and then collecting the stories, and then bringing it to Ottawa and saying, you cannot deny me because I represent all of this behind me. Look at the letters. Look at these stories. It would be. And who's ever gunning for prime minister's best position to pay very close attention to what I'm doing as I gather more support. Because I will say right now, it's early on, that the amount of support I've had that, I, um, that I'm still firming up um, blows, me, it blows me away. And as, the things, as I can announce things, I will. But I will that I'll be very stern, gratefully and compassionately stern that this I've dedicated my life to this, and I will be re- representing the nation's voice. Definitely, and that is something that you are taking, and something that you mentioned earlier is you said that a lot of politicians are saying that they are listening to the patient's voice, and you are taking the voice of the people who have suffered through a system who has maybe made things harder on them and maybe actually mm-hmm. made their experience more drawn out than it needed to be. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with Gabor Mate? I am not. Okay. Definitely you will love his work, I promise. He is a quick a quick breakdown of him. Um, some of your listeners might know who he is, but he's a trauma specialist. And at first he was born in he was born in the Second World War and he's a Jew he was a Jewish baby. And he talks about how his mother had to abandon him for uh, his first year of life. Um, and he had this trauma with him. And he found out when he was 54, he had ADHD. And his whole life changed when he found out he had ADHD. Um, he talks about his addiction. He had addiction to collecting records. And he speaks very sternly that addiction is a behavior. It's not an illness. It's a behavior coping mechanism for survival. After speaking with Marlene the other day, I did a little bit of research into Dr. Gabor Mate myself, and it's very interesting to see how somebody who lost everything even when at a young age when most people figure you wouldn't even remember anything would grow an addiction to where he would want to cling on to as much of something that he could gather, in his case, records. It's a highly interesting case to look into, and of course, maybe sometimes too much of a good thing can be a bad thing, especially if you're overspending in terms of collecting or even treating oneself, because even in the case of Dr. Gabor Mate, as a doctor, as a professor, 
you have a large sum of money, but at the time where you're buying copies of records that you already own six copies of this record, but this is a specific one that was printed in a certain region, are you really treating yourself or is it really starting to become a problem? Of course, Dr. Gabor Mate dives deeper in these subjects in his wonderful book, Scattered Minds, When the Body Says No, and In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. I'm going to be ordering them from my library right away. Of course, reading is one of those wonderful ways that a person can escape from the voices inside their own head sometimes, you know? A good book, like maybe The Subtle Art of Not Giving a... F is maybe something that you want to go and give a read into. A lot of people enjoy various types of film. Of course, a lot of people that I know enjoy music as a form of release. And I actually asked some of the Desert Tiger podcast listeners, a few of my friends, what some of the music that they listen to when they want to pick themselves up when they're in a little bit of a hole and they know that an artist has their back. Of course, Ryan from Vancouver is big on Linkin Park, huge on 21 Pilots. He pretty much says the entire catalog means so much for him, pretty much says it saved his life. So you know that I'm going to go and dive into the 21 Pilots catalog. Rhett said Fall Out Boy back when he was growing up in high school was came out at the right time. Joey McKegg, a great friend of mine, Back in Regina, we actually worked together at Stardust Promotions. Saskatchewan says Andrew W.K. That's right, the philosophy of partying goes so much deeper than one would actually think. Andrew W.K. is a great follow on social media as well if you're looking for a pickup. Of course, Danette, someone who has been a good friend of mine for a few years, says that Biff Naked's Love Myself Today always picks her up. And of course, the lyrics in that one incredible another song that has great lyrics that was suggested by one elaine is bon jovi it's my life of course if you look at the lyrics that one very empowering very stand up stand up strong for yourself and of course past podcast guest spencer tomlinson says that john mayer's soothing voice definitely helps him get through some hard times so maybe those are some of the artists that maybe you want to get yourself into. Actually, Brandon Cush, another friend of mine on social media, says Little Peep is a really good artist. That style of hip-hop, that down-tempo style of hip-hop is very good for him. And I understand that because listening to Meyer Clarity, someone who I've become very big on in the last year, gives me that exact same feeling. So what is it that helps you get through those down moments. Is it yoga? Is it Tai Chi? Is it going for a walk, a bike ride, going for a swim, going to the gym? Maybe it's putting on some good tunes and just relaxing in a good room. Maybe it's petting your pets. Maybe it's actually writing your own music. Whatever it is that helps you find release, I implore you to go and find those things that allow your passions to sing. Even if it's playing cards with your friends or playing single-player video games. It could be something that you've never tried before. And I know that it can be terrifying, but get out there and give it a go. If it feels right, give it a shot. Maybe it'll be your new passion. Or maybe you want to get involved with the Days of Action group. 
to try and help shift the narrative of what is the Canadian mental health system. Maybe you want to go and join the Days of Action Trauma Collective on Facebook. Marlene Hibbs would greatly appreciate if you would be willing to share your story with her, of course, when you are ready to do so. And the Days of Action Trauma Collective Facebook group is the place to do that. So if you feel comfortable in doing so, I please, please ask you to assist in joining this fight. Of course, normally we would play a track before getting back into our interview with our guest, but of course we had a ton of amazing music suggestions from listeners of the podcast and friends of mine on social media earlier here in this mineral. That's what these are called, mineral. So if you need to find an artist to help pick you up, maybe one of those is a great suggestion. And if you have someone who picks you up who wasn't listed in this list, hit me up on social media. Go ahead and add us at Desert Tiger Pod. Whether it's in a Instagram story, Instagram post, you can hit us on Twitter, Facebook. All of those are available platforms to help you share. And it doesn't even have to be an artist. Maybe it's the thing that helps you get through those hard moments. All right, DTP fam. I think that it's time that we dive back into this conversation with the honey badger, Marlene Hibbs. The Desert Tiger Podcast. Okay, so we mentioned one of the struggles of that I said that I had problems with, and something that you have mentioned that you have issues with, is mm-hmm. finding the right medical professional that mm-hmm. is willing to assist you down your road. Because even within the medical profession, there are individuals who don't believe in certain mental illnesses or thoughts of the way of what a mental illness is and they still think old school way of thinking of getting strong and it's for someone like for me it took me years to find a good doctor and I just moved to Kamloops and part of that was the fear of I don't have a doctor or a counselor anymore. And you said it was took you a long time to you. And something that I'm noticing in Days of Action is a lot of people with the same story. We let's definitely touch on that. So for those who you use the word that some doctors don't believe that mental health is a thing or that you can just get strong, I would say to those doctors, if I break my leg, what do I need? I need a cast. So I always go back to, well, what if I break my emotions? And they'll say, you can't break them. And I'll say, yes, you can, because then why does this person keep repeating this pattern? It would be the same as if you broke your leg and it healed and you walked really funny and then something happened where you broke your leg again and then it would break and break and break until it kind of healed while it was functioning. And that's kind of how our mental health system works is people keep breaking and they'll kind of heal in this weird way and they'll break. And either they kind of maybe find they stumble into support or... Mm -hmm they end up in the psych ward or they don't really ever recover and they live limited and they don't get to experience and express their life fully, which is tragic. So why is this happening? In BC, for instance, we get 10, we get, we have a punch card mental health system. So if you find someone who has, uh, who uses a public MSP for billing counseling, you can get 10 sessions a year. Ooh. Or if you're lucky, there's a really good, well, I'm not knocking the Canadian Mental Health Association. 
CMHMA, they have a program called Bounce Back, but they need to be more adequately funded and supported too because they have a platform where you can get six calls into a person over the phone and they have a generic outline that spans as they can for the person accessing it, but it's still limited. You cannot build a relationship of trust over the phone and let alone in even in person with 10 sessions. So often what ends up happening with these services, and I've talked about this with my doctor who's been in medicine for 30 years. Okay, let me put it this way. She's doing CBT with me, and that one of my conditions is I have an eating disorder. And CBT and DBT, dialectal behavioral therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, have been shown to produce 85% recovery rate with people who follow it for the minimum of 24 weeks consecutively, at least one time a week. Some people need two to three, okay? It'd be like getting chemotherapy. It's chemotherapy for your, your integration of your mind, body, soul together. Keep that healing. So she builds publicly to MSP. She educates doctors and therapists on how to do it properly. She taught in CBT. She has her diploma. I'm not going to say her name so I don't want her to get bombarded. As far as we know, she's the only doctor in the whole city, that whole region, that it's um, Interior Health is responsible for 250,000 people. She's the one person billing CBT to MSP. She takes on one or two people a year. I got to be that one person this year. One person. I've been with her for four years, taking getting medicine from her. So she'd known me for four years, and she could see my determination. She said, I'm going to do this for you because I know you're going to use it. Right? So just like the, listen to these numbers, people. Just for this one particular um, illness, eating disorder. And I went on record with Carla Manti from BC Interior Health. She's also part of the BC Eating Disorders team. They're a provincial team, and they're implementing services for eating disorders. She went on record with Interior Health Camlips this week that one in four people in the community have an eating disorder. So that upwards, of, and just in Camlips jurisdiction, not the roomy, the other surrounding areas, that six up to 16,000 to 25,000 people that have an eating disorder in our community in some way, shape, or form. They don't even know about it because we don't get education on it. And it could be you might have a you might be addicted to drugs or alcoholism because if you're using substances or behaviors, you're going to mess up your metabolic conditioning because that's just that's just a byproduct. It's just it's just the symptom. So the fact that there aren't more counselors is appalling because if you could just help if it's, if people were able to get chemotherapy, we'd be, we'd be banging down the doors. We would tear down hospitals, but you can't get a therapist. Mm -hmm. So it comes down to policy. It comes down to our value systems and beliefs. What is it? It's like $80,000 to get a nursing degree, just a basic level entry nursing degree. I know some people who went through nursing school and the way, the way they, the nurses treat nurses is, a lot of nurses will say they feel bullied. A lot of them will say they feel abused, that they have burnout. A lot of them are experiencing moral despair, so they're not able to do their jobs. They don't feel like they're actually doing their job. They're just following policy, and, they can, and they're not allowed to do things. We need to be funding. We need to, we need to be giving away education if we're, if we're going to be catching up to the, what is happening and how our population is aging, if we're going to be meeting the needs of people. There, needs to, um, there is something called trauma-informed care that's happening with psych nursing. Most doctors aren't trauma-informed. So the systemic piece is people can't get counseling, and when they do, they're like, they will, often will dry up their 10 punch card 
or whatever it is, and then they're feeling like it's their fault because they're not better. Because we trust people to create policy that is reflective of healing. So if we aren't better in 10 sessions, well, it must be me. And we carry that burden, oh, it's me again, and we carry that shame. You're not, then you, give, you can give up often. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. now your options are even less than they were before. What do you mean by that? Well, because you've already knocked out your 10 punch sessions and a lot of people can't afford to Mm -hmm. actually go into counseling themselves. A lot of people who are down in the dumps are at a point where maybe their mental health is affecting their work life and their work habits as well. And I know that this is something that has affected me. Yeah, and you speak boldly and proudly about it and I applaud you for that. It's hard to do, and you're very brave for doing it because I know, I, Colton, you've got more people than you know who will be drawn to you for doing that. You touched on another important thing, workplace. So what is it about the work environment that's making people sick? What is it about working? You mentioned in your work that you had this injury. You could have died by the sounds of it with your injury, and you were lucky to walk away. You were in to not have. Uh, did you break anything in, at all? Um, luckily, no. Right? Okay. So you're alive, you're walking, you kept your structure, and you kind of go back to work. Another girl I was talking with, Dana Shaleen of Women Shaping Canada, she had the same um Was it Dana Shaleen? No, it was somebody else. But she's had the experience within her um, field with journalism. Another woman I was speaking about, she had to go back to work the very next day. And she was in the psych ward. Her, when she was told, she ended up in the psych ward against her own will because she has chronic pain. Um, we'll, we'll, I'll be interviewing her. This woman was held down, stripped naked, violated, and put in a psych ward against her own will because she had chronic pain. Chronic pain is chronic guilt, chronic shame. It's an autoimmune disorder from your stress system, constantly pumping stress. It's adrenal burnout. What is it about our work environment? that we can't get help. Even when you have insurance in a work environment, the insurance companies have so much power that they'll say, this isn't a work-related disease. This happened to you when you were a kid. You need to go, pu- you need to go public. Mm-hmm. We only deal with stuff that happens in the workplace. You were, you were triggered? Oh, that's your fault. You brought in an illness that you didn't resolve. Can you imagine, again, if we did that to cancer or diabetes? It would not, it would not fly. We wouldn't blame them. We'd say, oh, you poor thing, you know, like you would have this perfect lifestyle, you'd even smoke. But maybe your grandparents were, you know, traumatized and they passed that down to you. There's, do you, do you understand systemic trauma, systemic trauma, how it's passed down in the genes? Oh, absolutely. You do. Okay. Let's touch on that a bit because I have ADHD and I have a child that has autism and I found out I had ADHD. And when I found out I had ADHD, it was by chance, it was randomly. Um, my doctor thought I might have had it, but she was concerned to give me the drugs that would support me. Having ADHD and living without, without medication is often, I would, I don't have reading glasses, but I would describe it as either needing a wheelchair and not having it or needing glasses and not having glasses. When I was able to be on medication, what happens is I have the dopamine feedback loop happening in my brain. So literally for my whole life, I could not feel the feedback system in my brain clicking in when something of value is happening. So that's why I often get really scattered. But the stats that are associated with women in Canada with ADHD are 
heartbreaking. And the actually Emily Sigurdsson that I spoke to yesterday, and I, I'm going to post my time with her on my social media soon. She was in social work, and when I said, "Well, when I found out I had ADHD, I found out that women with ADHD have the highest rate of domestic violence, sexual assault. They live in poverty. They have the highest rate of poverty. They have." the lowest rate of post-secondary education. They are one of the most vulnerable demographics in our country. And our doctors want to argue that ADHD doesn't exist. And ADHD exists in men too, but when women have it, have it different. Often they'll develop an eating disorder. So for the women who are thinking of this, if you think you have ADHD, go to your doctor. Like, just push through, girls. Like, push through your life will change and if I wasn't on medication I don't know if I'd be able to do this campaign so the reason I have ADHD is because my parents had a lot of stress my mother grew up in a very stressful abusive relationship from my father so when you raise babies in a stressful womb they come out with that stress adaptation because they need it to survive because the mother is pumping pumping information into the baby that's modifying the baby to survive. It's smart. The body, we're not smarter than our bodies. Our bodies are smart. Again, remember the prefrontal cortex, you only have like four to 8% free will. That means if I had to, can you imagine if I had to like consciously think about how to break, like get my kidney to work every day? Mm-hmm. No, that means like we wouldn't, right? So that helped me that clarifies that for people. And then within that, before that, my mother, her grandma, her mother grew up in poverty and she raised my mother in poverty. My mother was the last of 10 kids born. So my mother grew up in extreme poverty with few resources. And what happens is when, and her mother did too, she was a, she was a poor farmer that came in from, um, they came in from Russia and on boats like that. That's my family heritage. So there's this gene modification. My babies, cause it was for the, just to make it easy. So my eggs pass down information into my daughter's eggs about the environment they're going to need to be raised in for survival. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's this huge boom of things like ADHD and autism. It's not an illness, it's an adaptation from our stress system. So that's systemic trauma, and it's just our body's surviving. Wow. Yeah. That's... It's one way we survive. Yes, absolutely. And it is something that gets passed on because it's my family too, where in my mom's family, it's for generations hasn't exactly been comfortable and it just continues down the line where it's a lot of survival and doing what you need to to get by and relying on the family to make do sometimes and that was the environment I came up in and I still have that mentality of well no, you help out and you do all that but there's a point where at some point like where do you start to actually look inward and realize where do we break this where do we improve and actually get to a point mm-hmm. where maybe we don't have to have someone who has to rely on that and they actually realize before they get into it because with something that gets passed down and even with trauma that happens young like if it doesn't like we mentioned earlier if it doesn't get Mm -hmm. dealt with at an early age the Mm -hmm. percentage of it carrying on and becoming worse and becoming harder to deal with later on is incredibly difficult exactly so i said the term bodies in revolt if we don't have the language to express what our bodies are feeling, they will do it for us. 
and they will express it until that need is met. It's often an unmet need that is being expressed and it will keep pulling and pulling like energetically. There's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. It's great that you touched on childhood trauma. The Body Keeps the Score is something everyone needs to read. If anyone has any passion about mental health, Dr. Um, Bethel Vandelkolk did like a comprehensive 30-year study that looks into every disease across culturally around the world. He collected every piece of data he could, and the summary of the data basically was 95% of every single disease can be linked to childhood trauma. We're talking cancer, diabetes, Alzheimer's, osteoporosis, um, any degenerative disease, any physical disease as well as any mental disease, 95%. If we eliminate childhood trauma, we heal 95% of the world. We that, heal. That's so, a staggering yeah. statistic. It's just mind-blowing. And the people, again, people like Dr. Gavarmante, he speaks extensively of this. He shows everything is linked back to trauma. And trauma doesn't have to be something like their sexual assault. It can be something small. There's a book called Trauma Proofing Your Kids, written by Peter Levine. He's a somatic educator. He developed what's called somatic sensing. And he won a Nobel Prize for it. It helps um, people with really specifically PTSD, with their limbic system, their emotional regulation is out of control. He won a Nobel Prize. They've healed close to a million people with with this work. Yeah, with childhood trauma, it can be something small. So what, and one of the towns, Edson, I was in, I went and I was eating and I was talking to my server and I told her what I was doing. She's like, oh my God, I love this. And she represents to me that the majority, she has, she's married. She has a child, one child. She has a very blossoming marriage. Like everything is really good. She's really happy. Everyone's happy, but her son was, was demonstrating behaviors that suggested maybe something was off. So oftentimes we'll label the child, but it's often the engage the child engaging with the environment. The child is perfect. It's the environment that's fucked up. The child is a byproduct of the environment. If the child pushes back on the environment, that's the child's body saying something is wrong with my environment. So that's why family based therapy is so important because it works on the whole family unit. For instance, me, I had an eating disorder since I was seven. I was bulimic at seven. I would make myself sick so I wouldn't have to go to school because I had such bad anxiety from going to school. But it was also my family unit, and they needed healing the whole right? Often one or two people in the family will be displaying all these behaviors, but it's the environment that needs to be healed. So here's the thing. Perfect family, like beautiful family, what's wrong with her kid? She had a little bit of money, and she had a friend who saw her son, and what they determined was he was angry because they moved. He's nine, and when he's seven, they moved. And that move shook his world because he was against his will, forced to move. A child has to move, and that made him angry. And it's funny I'm saying this because I met another young man in an Airbnb who moved from the Philippines, and he told me he was 12 and he was forced to move, and he was angry about that. He's still, and he has PTSD from that to this day. He's got perfect grades. This kid is smart. He's graduated like top honors and like this guy is amazing but he's and he's telling me he's got this trauma and he's like I know I have trauma I'm angry so it could be something look at this the thing that happened was they moved so the book trauma proofing your kids would help these parents have educational tools to integrate that move because trauma is going to happen but having the tools to 
integrate that experience and create resiliency. Trauma is another word for evolution. This is how we evolve. When things happen to us, it's a chance for the human spirit to rise up and evolve and integrate the experience and be all the more wiser and all the more human. That when we don't integrate these experiences, we devolve. And I think you can kind of see that happening in our culture. (laughs) That is the body of society revolting. (laughs) Another book, Bodies and Revolts by Thomas Hanna. And that's the, the body work I do with somatic education. And that's another reason why I tied in my ride with my somatic school. My, my somatic education helped me develop the resiliency to gain the power back in my free will and my thinking. Because once I was at a pain in my body, pain, here's the thing, and this is probably a really good spot to stop after. Pain is the body's way, no matter what the pain thing, something's wrong. So we need to be very careful about what kind of pain we give permission to because we can give permission to pain. Let's say like like a relationship. So it's a secure relationship and someone hurts you and you can say, you know, you hurt me, then that person will validate that and listen and then they can say, oh, I'm sorry, I meant this and there's communication. In our government right now, if you say to the government, this governing structure um, is harming me, they say you're the problem. It's the way you're perceiving it you need to change that is violent that is that goes against the core what it means to be human we function a certain way and we should be building our structural systems to uphold the functionality of the individual and not creating slaves who are addicted addiction is, is the root word of slavery wow we have a nation of angry slaves look at the stats mm-hmm. depression anxiety addiction is the root word of slavery and look at our culture Look how many things there are to get addicted to. We're angry slaves. Our functioning is right now to uphold the structure, and it's crumbling, and people are crumbling, because people are crumbling. And there's a direct correlation, and I will stand on that. There's no other, and I'm not the only one to say this. I posted um, an article from a somatic institute, but Smale, he wrote a book about um, how capitalism is actually driving um, people to be sick, and he breaks it down within the stress reflexes and somatic education. So if you're in pain, your body and your whole free will thinking system, everything goes towards solving that problem. Let's solve this problem because if there's a problem to be solved, well then that hurts my survival, and if it hurts my survival, then I could die. So if we're in pain all the time, what it was the pain caused from? The environment. What created this environment? There's that feedback system that's called the mirroring neurons. It happens in the brain and it happens in our environment. The Buddha said that our minds shape the world, but then Gavramante said before the, before the, our minds shape the world, the world shaped our minds. So that's probably a good spot to pause. <laughs> uh, I agree. I agree. It's a very powerful <laughs> ending. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you so much for joining me here, Marlene Hibbs. If people want to find out more about the Days of Action campaign and your journey, where can they do so? On Facebook, I have my Days of Action page, which is is a generic page where I post my social media, my Instagram. I'll I'll go there as well. I'm on Instagram, Marlene J. Hibbs. And then I have the Days of Action Trauma Story Collective, where I'm encouraging people to come put down their story in their words or even draw a picture, or even write a song. 
there was one young man, the first story, he, he does hip hop freestyling. He's like, I'm not very good at writing, but I can sing and I can rap. I'm like, well, do that. So I posted his video there for him. How you express your story of mental health. Let's put your stories there and nominate someone to do the same. Agreed. I agreed. I also suggest that people should join the group and encourage them to share their stories when they feel comfortable to do so. Because not only are you building a collection of stories to take to parliaments and to take to the bureaucracy to show them Mm -hmm. how they need to change, you're also creating a network of people who are improving themselves and strengthening themselves by sharing their stories. And that's something that is a real underlying strength in this group that I really appreciate. And I really appreciate you being there, Colton. You have been phenomenal supportive member for everybody and you've been open and I'm so grateful that I met you this way and I know you and I'm just from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much. Um, One last thing I was sharing with Colton Colton, you're the only person I've shared this with, and I felt comfortable sharing with you because I see the art you do, and I see you you communicate with so many artists. At the heart of my who I am, I see myself as an artist expressing themselves. And I'm thinking of these stories that make, like, let's imagine that they do shift the narrative of mental health in Canada. It's, it's almost like a little arm, like a spiritual, emotional army. Well, what do we do with these stories? I want to immortalize them like we do with our vets. I want to create a place where these stories can forever be remembered for changing the narrative because people have the strength to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So I want people to know that these stories are not just there. They're, they're, they're the most precious, powerful resource that I have in this campaign, and I will do everything I can to honor them. Immortalize their importance in the moment yes. of shifting the conversation. Yes. I love it. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Thank you so Thank you, much. Colton. Okay, you have a great day. You as well. All right, I want to go and give a big, a huge DTP thank you to the Honey Badger, Marlene Hibbs, for joining me here on today's episode and for sharing her journey, her story. You can definitely feel the emotion in Marlene's voice in parts of this interview. And like I said at the beginning, I choked up a little bit during the editing process, and if you did a bit too, that's perfectly okay because I have no problem in admitting that I personally did. Today was a powerful conversation, so if it inspired you to make a difference with your own mental health, I applaud you. If it inspired you to be the difference that you want to see in your own world, I applaud you as well. I want to go ahead and thank you guys, the listeners of the Desert Tiger Podcast, for tuning in to yet another episode of the show. If you are new to the show, I would please ask that you consider hitting the follow or subscribe button on whatever service you are listening on. And I also ask that you go ahead over to Facebook and join the Days of Action page. Like I said earlier, if you're willing to share your story and you want to go over to the Days of Action trauma collective group to help throw in your story so that Marlene can take that all the way to Parliament, all the way to Ottawa, Ontario, so that we can try and shift the conversation of mental health education in the future of Canada together. 
Of course, this is also a great way to follow Marlene's journey across Canada and to give her support as she does so. When I spoke with her, she was in Edmonton. As I record this right now, she was in Red Deer as far as I can tell. She is determined, she is passionate, and she is driven. So please, please go ahead and give the Honey Badger as much support as you possibly can. Alright, like I said, thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the show. If you enjoyed what you heard, maybe you want to go ahead and share this episode on your social media. If you think that there's somebody who maybe needs to hear this episode, maybe you want to go ahead and share it with them personally. Maybe you want to go ahead and rate or review the show as well because those are all the free options in which that you can support the Desert Tiger podcast. Usually, I would shill t-shirts here as well, but those of you who listen to the show know exactly where to find those. So until next week, I hope that you have yourself a beautiful day. I truly, truly do. Alright, peace out, DTP fam.